the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 415. I'm Paul Spain and with me today we have Colin Brown. How are you, Colin? I'm good, Paul. I'm really good. Good yeah. to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me back. It's nice to be here. It's a little bit more comfortable than last time, so that's it. Yeah, we had a little bit, little bit of an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this sort of big, wide world of the big, wide technology world of te- and yeah. telecommunications. Um, so, look, my official title is Tribe Lead for Network Evolution, but you may know me from previous roles of General Manager of Spark within Telecom. Um, my role's really around network evolution, so the, the ability for us to uh, evolve our, our network to meet the sort of the strategic objectives for the company and that includes new things like moving to IP voice technology and 5G clearly which is what we're going to talk a little bit about today but also sustaining the capacity and the life cycle of our core network um, and one of my other pet hobbies at the moment is um, trying to turn off the PSDN so uh, I kind of liken it a little bit like to uh, the circle of life you know as, a, as one thing dies and building the next one and so I have the, the overall evolution of those things to coming together. Um, so that's kind of where I fit into into Spark. That's good. That's good. Well, let's jump in. Lots to lots to talk about. Now, um, on the entertainment front, which is an area that that obviously you know Spark has its finger in uh, in, in many pies, and so there's a, all manner of sort of experts in in these varying areas across the business. But I noticed that uh, YouTube have been um, quietly sort of turned on a, a whole bunch of movies that are available within YouTube. Uh, free but supported by advertising. I thought, oh, this is this is you know kind of kind of interesting. I thought, but does it relate to New Zealand? Uh, because we've you know we've seen you know a few others doing uh, you know doing doing this sort of thing. Uh, I think Roku, who do their set top boxes in the US, they they have a um, a service uh, like that, but. Again, it's it's not it's not uh, it's not geared up for New Zealand. So I went and had a little dig around uh, today to see what's you know what's in there. And so I went to the page, and there were something like seventy million um, you know people following that particular uh, channel on YouTube, and uh, there was nothing there. So uh, <laughs> so what and, and so the, that's quite interesting. So the. Um, is it their own production, like a Netflix type oh, thing, or is it, it more it's, of a... It's more sort of, I guess, the not necessarily sort of lower-grade content, but, you know, maybe older content yeah. and so on. Uh, you know, you you imagine, uh, you know, what a, what a TV station would put on, you know, free-to-air, supported by advertising, you know, type thing. So it's not, not, not likely to be a, you know... Brand new release, uh, blockbuster, yeah. Yeah. and uh, yeah, there were, I mean, there were there were a bunch of uh, you know a whole bunch of things sort of listed in some of the commentary I saw. Uh, the Terminator was listed as as one of the movies, and so you know I was kind of kind of curious, uh, and so I went online and did a little bit of a search, and there's a website called uh, JustWatch.com. Uh, which is is actually a really useful resource for working out if you're looking for a particular piece of content, whether it's you're looking for uh, a movie or you know, your kids are interested in in, in something particular, uh, you can go to justwatch.com and it's really a search engine for content. And it'll ta- for, tell um, you, for <laughs> you know, and and of what are the legitimate sources that you can uh, stream or, or consume that content through. So when I 
I'll um, I'll uh, just look at what I had here for uh, uh, for Terminator. So yeah, when I did did that search for uh, New Zealand, and it looks across Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime Video, Lightbox. Uh, you've got the sort of the standard stores from Apple, Google, Microsoft, uh, YouTube Red, which is their paid subscription. Um, uh, QuickFlix is sort of still in there, which is is interesting because they're really only just sort of uh, h- hanging on. Uh, so yeah, so it list, listed um, term, the original Terminator movie, nineteen eighty four. That you could rent it through uh, Google Play and uh, and Apple, and you could buy it through both of those. And, and you know, pricing it pulls in some data from IMDb. Uh, if we scroll down a little bit further on that on that page, you had uh, Terminator Salvation from two thousand and nine, and it was showing you could actually stream that on uh, on Prime uh, Prime Video. This is a New Zealand search. They haven't verified that because. You know, I've got to say the way I run Prime is um, Amazon think I'm in the US when I use it, so I see a slightly different catalogue uh, because last time I, I really had a good look at the streaming catalogue for New Zealand, there was basically nothing there, um, and I have a US subscription anyway. And then it lists it as something you can rent through Lightbox and, and mm. others and so on. So it gives you that mix, uh, Terminator 2, uh, you know, free streaming within a subscription on Netflix and um, Prime Video, a bunch of places you can rent it, buy it and so on. Um, so, yeah, quite a useful yeah, resource, a, I, I, I thought. Talks to, I think, the maturity of content on the on the internet, though, doesn't it? It's almost like a webjet of, um, of content, you know. So how do you actually troll through the internet to find out the best available um, site and so, but but we see in Spark, um, and and it wouldn't be uncommon globally and with the other providers that most of our traffic now on the internet is video, and it is continuing to grow at video. And one of the things that you see is that video content is getting richer. And so whilst you've got a lot of the back catalogue stuff, like you know Terminator would probably still be on SD, and mm. it'll be mm. quite interesting to watch it actually from. Um, yeah, well, I think and, some of it's listed there in in, in HD, but yeah, whether they've yeah, got around to making 4K variants and things. Thing Things like that off the the original but film. It's a it's a huge it's a huge part of network planning now is video and and, and content and caching and um, and you know New Zealand very much an importer of data across the world. So, but it, it'll be interesting to see how the YouTube advertising model goes because a big part of YouTube watching is that smaller time slots. You know, mm-hmm. going through the you know three seconds before I can skip my ad, um, more kind of. You know, TV productions were often actually producing fifteen-minute shows to actually go through the um, to the That's YouTube right. format. Yeah. I don't know how a two-hour movie rendered with with um, advertising would actually. I guess it depends where you consume. I know for uh, uh, my my son and you know, Pablo's um, eight, uh, or, or very very close to it, he will consume from YouTube, but. On the television, so uh, you know, yeah. so it's the same place that we would consume longer form as well. Yeah, good point. So mm. you know, you, uh, you know, I guess be- because YouTube's so popular, you get that. You know, you get YouTube on just about every device, other mm. than if it's from Amazon, in which 
they still have a little bit of uh, uh, there's a you know a, a little bit of a dispute going on between uh, Amazon and uh, uh, Google there at the at the moment. So uh, you know one one or, one or two limitations, but you know mo- in most cases, I'll be uh, really fascinating to see how that plans out mm. and what that does in terms of um, free to air in terms of some of the um, you know the likes of uh, terrestrial TV in mm. New Zealand and how mm. we actually cover that. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, it's just another form of content across, the, uh, across from a Spark perspective. It's another mm. form of content we just have to actually deal with and, yeah. and, and yeah. you know, cache and, and distribute. But, but yeah, quite, quite interesting that, there's, that, that the advertising, you know, breaks through the movie. I'm assuming it's, you know, mid-movie mid at a crucial moment, you know, they pop in an ad. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I don't know how, how they do that. I mean, it does seem... Um, well, yeah. Whenever those things tend, you know, tend to interrupt, they, 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 you know, they tend to be annoying. But you know, hey, if you're not paying for something, that's uh, that, that's a trade-off, it's right? Like you know, Spotify you, free, you, isn't you, it? You know, you, you get the adverts every eleventh yeah. song or whatever it is, and then you sort of deal with it. So. That's right. And speaking of that, let's jump to our uh, ad break now. Uh, today we're going to actually we'll skip that. We don't do too many of those on um, on on the podcast, so we'll we'll, we'll skip any of that today. Um, Another topic, um, Ford seemed to be making some progress with their, anon- their anonymous, anonymous. It's at- autonomous, autonomous cars. Um, hopefully anonymous aren't hacking them or, or anybody else. Um, and uh, last week they had an event and, um, in Miami where they took some reporters you know, through sort of you know, trying out these vehicles. And um, I guess this was interesting to me because I spent a bit of time at varying events with Ford, including Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, the first events I went to, they were, you know, they were, they were almost sort of, you know, completely shunning the idea of autonomous vehicles, which the whole industry, uh, you know, was doing initially, even though they were, in terms of, I guess, the, the non sort of, you know, premium uh, car brands, um, as a yeah, non premium car brand, uh, they seem to be quite uh, quite forward thinking from a from a you know technology uh, perspective, mm. and so yeah, I think they were the, they were the first automaker to uh, to appear at uh, at CES. Uh, I'm trying to think how many years ago it would have been. I, I met their uh, CEO Alan Mulally at the time uh, after after he spoke um, at CES. That would have been a few years ago now because I think they've. Uh, uh, there've been a, a, a couple of CEOs since him, uh, but uh, yeah, even, you know, at that stage they were they were you know very much into uh, establishing partnerships and 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 trying to do uh, you know things a bit differently from from what some others were. Uh, although their their fortunes probably they're probably not doing quite as well now as as they were two or three years ago. Um, so yeah, interesting to see they're ready to start demoing the technology, but they're still talking about twenty twenty one as being. Yeah, the sort of time frame when they they expect to uh, actually be putting these things uh, out onto the onto the the, the roads publicly, mm-hmm. and yeah, the, although they are trialling these things, and they, you know they do have them on the on the roads, but they're not you know expecting to have um, you know in, anything much more than that till twenty twenty one is is what they're saying at the moment. Yeah, I think you've got to start somewhere on things. It's like the um, electrical vehicles now in terms of it. You know, if you go back to hybrids have been around for a while, now the electric vehicles are coming forward. And you can kind of see autonomous vehicles playing out. My, my kind of personal view on autonomous vehicles, I think they'll have a um, 
quite a big role to play in industry. Uh, if mm. you think about, mm. you know, mining, for example, already has a lot of the autonomous vehicles and driverless That's vehicles. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you think about uh, areas which have high traffic flow with health and safety parameters, airports, um, tarmacs, um, really busy sort of um, urban transport type areas. I'm not quite sure you'll get too much turning up in New Zealand where you can, can drive from Auckland to Bluff on an autonomous vehicle and, and, and deal with it, but I could be proven wrong around Down that. those old middle roads and things no, that go around the place. And also I think, look, New Zealand's, a, if you look at where New Zealand sources most of its cars from, we're very big on the second-hand market. So I think in New Zealand it's uptake around that. Um, will 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 probably be slower than the rest of the world, mainly in terms of its its consuming power, in terms of it gets a lot of its cars imported from Japan still. So, but you know, it's it, it is interesting when when I was um, I was out in the states about two or three years back, uh, and I went to see Bell Labs, who, um, and I went to see um, some of the the people in Nokia. Um, and uh, it was that weekend, um, one of the heads of the Nokia um, were, had just been up and uh, driving around uh, in his Tesla autonomously in the hills around San Francisco. And so, you know, that was two or three years ago. And, and so to see it go from Tesla to Ford and you can see it hitting the mainstream really talks to the inflection curve, I think, about those sort of that t- technology hitting. It'll be interesting to see whether or not they're using GPS as part of the, the driving capability, whether or not they're using mobile technology. And, and my, my feeling is I think the auto industry is moving less on mobile technology and more on, on autonomous sort of GPS locations. But we can kind of see technology probably turning up in the cars from a mobile and, and wireless technology around entertainment, around maybe near-field communication with each other and, and reporting and stats and, That's and right, bits yeah, and, and pieces. Vehicle-to-vehicle communications and vehicle-to-infrastructure comms. And, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, definitely the yeah, the entertainment side, I think, uh, yeah, our requirements keep increasing. Your YouTube um, Terminator movie as, you, as you're cruising down the motorway, well, probably not cruising down the motorway in, uh, at rush hour, but uh, sitting in there um, and you can watch your YouTube uh, Terminator movie and from 1984, the odd ad inserted to yeah. in your autonomous vehicle, you know. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think... Um, it, it is really interesting just as as more of the uh, the the puzzle evolves really you know we we have these little little snippets of the future where we can we can see certain pieces or or you know we we can get a bit of a taste but we don't quite know how it's all going to roll out next month uh ways are supposed to you know move to their commercial kind of uber like you know driverless uh service and I, th- I think it's in arizona and that you know that would be the first you know really full uh full commercial type situation obviously there'll be there'll be a whole bunch of uh you know constraints and and there have, you know these things have been a trial for for some time but that, that's going to be pretty revealing to see how that actually what, what really, pans out. What really amazes me is the adoption rate for these sorts of things. You know, if you think about how long in the past a new technology used to take to get to, you know, um, a number of users to actually start to use it. Um, if you see um, the adoption and also, to some extent, the abandonment rate, um, if mm. you look at how quickly... Uh, things like Pokemon Go, when it came out, how quickly that got to some like a million subscribers or five million subscribers, I think, in the world was like within hours or days of mm, it um, mm. compared to sort of uptake in previous technologies. So, you know, you, I, I wonder if, you know, there, there seems to be more propensity to trial and then and then move on. It's kind of, it'd be interesting to sort of see how it actually 
everybody will be in the rage, everybody wants one, then after a while they actually miss, you know, putting it in gear and driving around the car and 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 It'll be interesting to see how how that then normalises. But I think the most fascinating part about that is, is Ford effectively is a, you know a common um, brand, and therefore it's entering that commodity market rather than the mm-hmm. specialised market. Mm-hmm. And that that probably is a key indicator about where the technologies is going to start to turn up sooner rather than later, mm-hmm. rather than the Teslas or the you know the specific sort of niche markets that are going to drive that. So that that is quite fascinating. I think the Ford announcement. Yeah, and look, there there are yeah lot, lots of things in the puzzle. That I think are probably you know somewhat uh, somewhat complex to predict in terms of how they would how they would fall in the local market here and so on. But um, yeah, appreciate your interest. The um, the interesting thing there. around that is um, is when the li- where does the liability lie in an accident. Um, and is that with the person in the car or is that with Ford? And I think that, in particular in the States, it'll be an interesting thing to get your head mm-hmm. around there. Mm-hmm. So um, I think... I'm sure Ford will be getting you to sign off yeah, all sorts of waivers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah. it does make it interesting. I think there was a... Um, there was a was it was last year, wasn't there? Was it, or was it earlier this year? There was a death in the in, mm, in a driverless mm, vehicle mm. with somebody who didn't cross at the. It was a cyclist versus vehicle, I think, and there was an accident was there. The Uber one where someone yeah. was yeah w- walking across, I think, maybe with a bicycle, and uh, yeah, that, that wasn't that wasn't nice. And uh, yeah, when when you you know you looked at it, they. Um, yeah, they they really dropped the ball with their their technology there, as well mm-hmm. as the the person who was supposed to be supposed looking to be at what, what was going yeah. on as well. But that's so. humans, right? You know, you can't you can't engineer human behaviour, right? No, no, as, as much no. as we'd like to. Now, uh, Amazon Echo devices, which uh, have you got one of these? No, you, no, you don't no. like to have that in your home. Well, I'm actually, I'm, I'm not as technology savvy as probably I should be in my role. Actually, um, <laughs> I, I kind of, I um, you pick uh, and choose a bit, I suppose. I, I look, I, I do, and I think, um, um, look, the. Um, I generally it takes me long enough to get around my new Apple device, and um, and half the time I have to get my son to teach me how to do it. So, um, but no, I haven't haven't got it. But I see they're sort of starting to in- integrate um, Skype for um, into the calling for that, which is again another VoIP service that's that's starting to actually come to the mainstream. So, um, and look, I, I you know I think that that whole integrated communication now is becoming um, more and more pr- um, prominent in terms of everything that we do. The ability to say you know call home and then actually get a um, you know a, a, a VoIP call up and running across the network. The big complexity around um, voice integration for those over the you know the Skype type services is, is often a lot of the integration into um, the local numbering, what we call the intelligent network, the ability to know where to route the call and how to deal with it. Yes, um, and a lot of those um, over the top services also really um, um, can get interrupted when you actually get something like a. 3G text over that because it falls back to 3G and then mm, you, and mm. then you lose a connection. Yes, but, yeah. But, but you know, communication is becoming such such so so more ingrained and integrated in terms of what we're trying to deal, deal with. And if you think about all of the how how. You know, if you looked at Star Trek and you sort of, you know, said computer do this, and then now you've got Siri, and now you've got um, uh, Alexis, and then you've got um, I can't remember the, the one starting with C. I've forgotten the name, but uh, yeah, that's the yeah, one. It's yeah. it's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, and on that same trip, I actually was out there in the states. We went to Microsoft, and um, uh, and uh, th- there was a big issue with um, with a TV show once. It was the hilarious, funniest thing I heard where they had a um, um, uh, Alexis 
on TV, sort of, can you order me some nappies? And that, and the, all of the listening devices in the home suddenly yeah, put, yeah. put all this big request for nappy dis, um, yeah, yeah. to be di- to distributed across America, and right. they had to cancel the order on Amazon, I think, uh, or something uh, like that. Alexa had, it, uh, yeah, heard, heard that, heard and, that uh, over the TV and, and jumped in. Yeah, mm. there, there, there's still some issues there that you know, I think you know, will get worked out over time. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if. Um, you know, one of the voice assistants in, in the room sort of you know jumps in while we're talking yeah. because even when we're not mentioning them, you know, sometimes they'll get they'll get mixed up and you know jump in and and uh, and and make comments. So yeah, they don't have very good EQ at the moment to you know sort of understand <laughs> when's the right time to be jumping in the conversation. Yeah. And what one day they they'll get saying. facial recognition of annoyance when you're looking at it, yeah. and they goes, "Oh, sorry." Yeah. Um, but look, I think um, we, we're, we're one of the big things, and I mentioned it in my intro is. We, we are transitioning off the PSD and are moving people onto IP technology. And, and you know, the voice, um, big part of my role is actually how do we actually move off analog and onto IP voice. And what we're, we're doing quite a large infrastructure build at the moment on in Spark to actually um, accommodate things like the um, Skype-type services as well as, yeah. you know, voice over IP on fibre and wireless broadband, uh, you know, Volte coming along and, and all of those sort of IP-based voice services. So, mm. you know, at some so point... So Volte, that's the voice over the LTE. LTE. Yeah, 4G, yeah, 4G. Uh, networks, and and where where are we on that? Oh, we're, we're um we're underway in terms of a program of work, and we kind of hope to have that up and running within the next sort of six months. Um, and, and particularly um, as we've gone into um, Spark, Vodafone, and Two Degrees have moved into this rural connectivity group That's in right. partnership with yeah. um, with Crown Infrastructure Partners, uh, and that is predominantly a 4G build in rural. So we need the voice over LTE service up there, up and running to be able to make some phone calls and. So, you know, that is the evolution of, of, of networks going mm, forward. Just a necessity. Um, and, and the interesting thing is, and it, and, and it talks to the convergence, and I like um, suddenly you used to have a separate PSD network for making phone calls over copper, and then you had a over-the-top service in terms of your IP-based services, and then you had a mobile circuit switch service, which is over your 3G mobile. Um, and now they become accesses, and the common switching fabric is actually shared in the, in the IP layer, and that's one of the things that we're, we're building out at the moment is, is actually that convergence between voice just all being different media streams mm, and soon mm. you just overlay video and content and applications on top of that. Yeah. And so that whole convergence in terms of the of, of the services being done with that, um, you still need to be able to know where to route the number though, whether it's a North Island, South Island, off one network onto another network and if you dial one 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 there's a lot of things that have to actually sit in behind that. So Yeah, it's uh, pretty important that that, that, that still uh, still works, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, one one aspect is as we've moved to more mobile forms of communications, I think it generally we've got a bit more relaxed around reliability. Uh, you know, with, well, you can with, say that until something breaks and yeah. I get rung up in the middle of the night and saying, "Why is it broken?" But yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, unless you're on a you're on a you know party line sort of landline, and uh, you know, I nev- never never grew up in that sort of uh, uh, you know situation. But uh, you know, with a, a traditional landline, you know, you didn't need any power to your handset and so on. And you know, it's been a, a very well, you know, probably a, in the direction of a decade since I've you know had a, a Traditional, uh, you know, phone in the house, and uh, but you know, with those, they would just work regardless of power cuts and everything else. It would, you know, it would just work. Uh, you know, now we we have a few options, right? You know, if you if you um, uh, are used to you know communicating voice over IP, well, 
that goes out, well, you got a mobile. If your mobile goes out, well, there's probably somebody else nearby who's got a mobile. Maybe it's on another network. I mean, there's all you know, all manner of, of ways of for us to communicate, and uh, you know, we we seem to cope with the with the variances. Yeah, I think and, I uh, think we've got you know, so much use to um, resiliency through um, having backup charges or somebody else's cell phone and the likes. Uh, look, it's interesting. We when we and it's like two years last week, I think it was, since the Kokoro earthquake. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the shift between that and the Christchurch earthquake in terms of reliance on mobile versus landlines was actually was quite noticeable, even within mm-hmm. our organisation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can restore mobile cell sites a lot faster now than we could actually do landline because you can drop in a generator as long, you can check the structural integrity and you can mm-hmm. put a microwave dish up and then um, within 24 hours you normally got at least some base level of con- connectivity. In Kaikoura, mm-hmm. the, the, the landslides on either side of Kaikoura pretty much cut the cables in about six or seven different locations. So there was actually quite a lot of um, isolation in terms of the landline. Mm-hmm. Local Kaikoura could still make a, a phone call in terms of the way that it was routed through the exchange, but you couldn't actually make a call outside of that. So so the... the um, Whereas one in of the future, you'd probably lose that local yeah, yeah. that local connect, connectivity. Yeah. If you can't connect to the outside world, then uh, you know, you're know you not going to have too much, I would imagine. Yeah, so a lot of the messaging we're starting to do now and readiness for that is actually to say, actually, mobile is the first port of our recovery now in networks mm. because of that. It's where the first responders need some access. We, end up, um, we, we build more re- resilience into our mobile network. Mm. You know, the battery mm. backups and the technology are getting much he- um, mm. more sophisticated in that area. Mm. Um, and the ability to actually, you know, as I said, you know, drop in somebody and in, in a generator into that into that area and get some base level connectivity is, is, is much more superior. The other thing we really encourage people to do is actually have, you know, those backup um, batteries that you can actually plug into your mm. into your phone to actually charge and um, and you know you can also get battery backup for some of your um, for, for for some of the fibre modems that you've got that you have mm. voiceover mm. as well but but it is a, a big shift to that old traditional plug in the telephone. Um, you got to remember that a lot of people still have decked phones, you know, like the the cordless telephones that are sitting in there, and they still rely on power. And when the power goes mm. out, mm. they might. You know, and to pick up the power of the telephone, yeah. and that's kind of gone. So, because you haven't got the receiver working, so I think we have moved forward a little bit around that, and it's a bit of a safety net around having the old copper line. But copper is failing, and the PSDN is failing. So, I think it is mm. time for us to start to move forward and, and understand what what does it take for us to get to um, to prepare for for mobile technology being a replacement. So, mm. Mm. Now, uh, I mean, are you um, watching what's happening? Um, uh, it might not be your your, your area. Uh, at all, but uh, in the the satellite uh, broadband uh, side of things, uh, la- last week we were uh, yeah, learning a little bit about uh, Pacific and uh, what they're going to be launching in I don't know, maybe you know around ten months uh, uh, time in terms of uh, you know their their satellite based broadband offerings, which seem to be. Yeah, a reasonable step ahead from what we've been used to. Uh, yeah, look, I think I think I'm interested in terms of they haven't been watching it too closely in terms of how they turn up, but I very am very interested in the low orbit satellites in particular. Mm, mm. And, and again, for those hard to reach rural areas that aren't going to be served by wireless, or those or they're down a very long copper connection and they're getting sort of like about one kilobit per second in terms of their line speed. So, mm, mm. so having low low orbit and cheaper satellite options is good for in terms of getting access to those rural communities. Good for really. Um, Areas of um, of emergency services and coverage, particularly if you mm. think about search and rescue and tourism, and, and areas that, that it just becomes cost prohibitive to build out anything large in terms of infrastructure. 
Um, and, you know, and, and also, you know, as an option for some things like, you know, satellite backhaul in remote areas and those yeah. bits and pieces. So I think satellite has a strong um, role to play in terms of communications going forward. And, and, and it is quite exciting to sort of see some of the lower cost um, options coming to the market and seeing how they could complement the existing services as well. So That's it, right, yeah. yeah. And I'll be very, very pleasing to see what uh, Rocket Lab and, uh, you know, Peter Beck and the team at Rocket Lab are, uh, are up to with, uh, with, with getting... Uh, Fascinating what they're doing up there and and, and, and into space. What are they targeting a rocket a week or something like that in the long term? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's where where they're where they're planning to be by uh, certainly twenty twenty. So yeah, I mean it's 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 kind of mind blowing to uh, to think. I think they're putting some uh, some reasonable pressure on themselves. Uh, There was uh, I think it was. uh, Virgin with uh, with their thing that they're trying to uh, basically mount a rocket to uh, uh, to an aeroplane to uh, to make it easier to launch. So they've been doing a little bit of testing over the over the last few days. But uh, you know, whenever these things do come to market, uh, you know, you, you can bet that uh, uh, Rocket Lab will have, have done everything they can to be. Uh, uh, you know, really delivering at pace. So, you know, whoever's coming in behind them to try and, uh, you know, get uh, get those satellites up and so on um, won't be able to deliver as well. So it's going to be very curious to see uh, just, you know, how they go over the next few years because they're obviously in a very strong uh, position now. You know, what what they're doing is, is you know, quite unique, quite different to, to, uh, to SpaceX. Um, but you know, no, no one quite knows how it's going to pan out because there's a whole lot of people, you know, queuing up and and trying to compete with them. Yeah, look, I, and I think if you can kind of get that leadership and establishment and the maturity of the model, I think the, um, uh, embedded, I think that's a really good thing for for them to achieve. Uh, look, it's I think it's exciting. I think it's awesome to see you know a rocket being launched from the East Cape in New Zealand, and and you know, and they're proudly an American uh, New Zealand company on the basis of the fact that they need to collaborate and, and partner with the with the, the investors over there. And I was listening to an interview on that the other day, and I think it's a fair call. But you know, it's it's amazing. You know, who would have thought on on the East Cape of of New Zealand that we would be launching rockets into space for what, something like about one tenth the price of what it takes to actually get a normal rocket up into the, into space. So phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, and I mean certainly those prices have have come down since you know Rocket Lab's been you know just in that in twelve years that Rocket Lab's been in operation. You know the, the prices have come down uh, a lot, and you know I think in most part uh, you know what SpaceX have been doing. Uh, but you know it still seems like there's, there's a there's a, a really good place for them. Uh, they gave me some uh, feedback. I was trying to understand well what's what's your what's your current uh, valuation because they've just gone out, done another fundraising round, and I think the round uh, D that they did uh, earlier on the, this year uh, was, uh, what did they come back at? I think about a $1.7 billion, uh, you know, New Zealand valuation, and then, you know, they've had uh, another, you know, $200 million, uh, dropped in at whatever the new valuation is, so uh, more than likely up, you know, past $2 billion. So, you know, there, there's a real belief because, you know, look, they charge $5.7 million per launch. It must be a huge belief in, uh, in their ability to really execute and be getting a, a lot of those rockets uh, up, up into space, yeah, um, mm. because that's um, that's a that's a that's a, 
at a pretty pretty large valuation. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or, no, or, it's, it's I mean, uh, fascinating to see where it turns out. R- mm. Really, really exciting mm. for New Zealand mm. to be standing on the globe global stage on that as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those that are interested in, in catching a bit more of that, um, check out the New Zealand Business Podcast. Uh, we did promise that interview last week, and it's just gone up in the last uh, uh, last couple of days with, uh, with with Peter Beck. And yeah, there's some pretty interesting, uh, you know, bit, bits and pieces in that uh, discussion. So well, well worth a uh, uh, a listen. Um, now on to KiwiCon. Uh, so this sort of uh, traditionally comes around every year, although there have been some uh, interruptions in the past. But uh, KiwiCon was uh, was back in uh, in, in Wellington uh, over the weekend, and you know, of course, it's it's the place where uh, uh, hackers and um, you know folks interested in cybersecurity uh, get get together. And uh, there, there's always uh, you know a, a whole raft of of uh, you know fascinating things that get uh, revealed, and uh, whether it's uh, the, the the likes of um, you know pacemakers that are able to be hacked or uh, uh, you know all, all manner of uh, of other things that we've seen at these varying uh, you know hacker uh, events around the world over the um, over the years um, yeah, and um, yeah I think it was you know one one year it was uh, uh, you know F post or, or, or cat, cat, you know cash machines sort of spitting money out and so on uh, but this year there was a bit of uh, a demonstration um, of what was possible uh, from a from a um, uh, tech perspective with getting into lime scooters and into the uh, uh, the, the database of, of where these things are, and it was uh, yeah very very interesting. I, I wasn't there, but uh, you know j- just reading through uh, you know somebody's summary of uh, of that was was really interesting, and it just highlights you know how hard it is. Uh, to know that what you do is safe because we all rely on you know on so many parties right and you would you would think oh okay look you know lime scooters you know this is a uh, uh, you know like a you know, California based uh, firm uh, you would expect that you know that they they they've got uh, you know some some privacy requirements and and so on that they need to deal with operating in the US maybe not you know quite as strict as if they were uh, uh, in the EU in fact they they may well be actually in in Europe by now because they've been expanding at a crazy pace Um, but it turned out you know very easy basically you know you can go on the map and see where the lime scooters are that are that are unlocked and or you know are basically ready to be you know picked up and unlocked through through the app. Uh, but what it does do is it hides the ones that are that are moving about. Uh, but actually, quite uh, oh. rudimentary uh, to to basically use code and and um, you know hit on and basically find out where the other ones are. And, and every bike is issued in a number between I think zero and uh, uh, a million. And um, you know, people basically just sort of you know pinging these different numbers, and and then you know once you've uh, uh, done the right thing, then you can uh, you you can find these scooters and, and find out where they are, find out where people's journeys have started and finished, and, and who and, who was and, riding and, it at and, the same and, time, and, and so the, on. Yeah, yeah so wow. all, all manner of all manner of information, yeah, which is is um, you know kind of worrying, and and this is. Um, 
you know, I think in some ways more worrying than than what we saw with I think you know Fitbit who revealed you know they deliberately were revealing a bunch of uh, you know a bunch of uh, metadata and so on. You could you know see things ar- around where people's movements were, and uh, you know um, I think in that case it you know was able to re- reveal some sort of hidden military <laughs> locations because you'd have people going people out going to get to, their yeah, exercise. Right. They, did the, um, they did the run know, around walking the around the perimeter yeah. or doing a jog around the perimeter, whatever those things were and uh, uh, you know and yeah. obviously phones and GPS info all ties together and uh, uh, away it goes so yeah I thought that was uh, you know it, it was very pleasing that they um, you know that, that, that somebody has revealed that but it's you know also a real warning to I'd, us I'd around, the, real, around the, the risks that we have as we you know a, we jump on board with these things I so think easily. It's a real problem for us going forward um, to get our heads around around the Internet of Things in the world. You know, like mm. Lime Scoot is just another Internet of Things. When there's so many things that yeah. now are, that are either going to be used for um, information gathering, whether it's sensors, whether it's Lime Scooters, whether it's you know, mm. think mm. about what's going to happen in VR when it eventually comes in, into to the mainstream as a as a wireless technology. Um, so the, you know, the, all of those suddenly IP points you've got out in the network are becoming just another vector in terms of understanding it. So security detection, and it's good that they've actually you know um, hacked it and exposed it. And I think that's going to be the reality is of, of anything going to market. We're going to have to try and bring more people to do those penetration type test um, activities to hopefully before they hit market. But you know, we're always going <laughs> to yeah, that would be cool, always, it's, it's always one. I think it's one of the biggest problems of actually going into um, into just the explosion of the things that are connected over the internet now is there's just so many different vectors in which you can actually come in and, and get access to information. So um, security is just one of the most fascinating areas and, and largest growth areas, I think, in technology that, that people get their heads around. So it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. And I mean, in this case, you know, the other thing that surprised me, I mean, they're a very, very well-funded uh, startup, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't think that, you know, there, there's an excuse for a startup like this not, not to have, to have at least dealt yeah. with some of the basics mm. because it really looks as though they've they've been... Uh, incredibly negligent. Mm. It's it's very poor, and you know part part of it falls on the the manufacturer of the um, the electric scooters as well. Uh, yeah, and understand that you know basically you can tap into those and uh, you know control acceleration and so on as as well, right? So yeah, yeah this is this is this is not good stuff <laughs> no, um, no. at all. So yeah, they won't do do much to calm the uh, lime scooter hysteria at the moment, will it? It's um, but look, I. I, I Look, can't can't disagree with you there. I mean, if you've actually uh, security should be just a mandatory requirement in terms of actually hardening up your product before it goes to market, um, and and ensuring you've kind of got all those protections in place, and and. It, if anything, the brand damage that that can occur, reputational damage that can occur in terms of uh, you know you 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 are dependent on the on a crowdsourcing model of actually these things working, and if you if you lose trust with your customer base or concern around your customer base. As we're talking about before, the inflection curve of adoption is so much more rapid these days. But also, mm. as the abandonment, if you yeah, actually get yeah. something wrong, people will walk away, and somebody else will bring a product to market that is secure and mm. an alternative. Mm. So you you live and die by effectively how well your reputation stands, and security is a major part of that. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, you know, general public seem to be pretty relaxed about it. I mean, the, the yeah, the big thing that jumped out to me here was look. If they were a you know a very small startup, you could you'd be a lot more understanding of it, right? And 
I guess there's 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 a concern there. Will we be in a position where startups have to be massively funded? They have to have a huge backer before they can do anything because you know the, the getting cybersecurity right is you know does take some investment. It takes mm. more time and so on. It would it would slow things down. Um, and you know that the, they seem to have um, you know had the funding yet yet not Chosen not done it. it. So mm. I don't know. It's it's going to be curious to see how hard it is to uh, to address these things. Uh, what do we need to do from a, a legislative uh, you know perspective? Because you know if if nothing's sort of forced, then you know people are more relaxed, and we'll see if we can we can get away with it. Maybe we'll fly under the radar for a little while, and uh, uh, you know. No one, no one, no one will call us on it. No one will find out. Yeah, I've, um, I'm, I'm, I'm it's not, a balance uh, between not, not, not too keen that we, uh, yeah, we, we don't raise it. You know, raise the bar a little bit, but uh, you know, it's how you do that yeah, in, right in an appropriate right, manner. You know, yeah, um, and you can imagine, you know what. What what would go wrong if uh, you know a, a small rocket were uh, were taking control of by someone else? Now um, you know, I'd, well, I'd, drones I'd, would probably be the other one, right? You know, yeah, the, the drones will be probably another area that you need mm. to make sure you've got mm. good control over it. So, and yeah. and um, certainly that's one of the things that uh, that has to be. A, I think for those things which involve public, you absolutely need to have a high standard of security and mm. and mm. capability. Mm. Mm. Um, now on the on the gadget front, uh, a couple of gadgets we had hands on with uh, recently, and um, this we had the um, um, Oppo R seventeen Pro. I think it actually arrived during the show last week. We didn't manage to uh, didn't manage to talk about it. Uh, but this is interesting because it's uh, you know a Chinese brand that a couple of years ago most of us would have never never heard of. Uh, in the same way, you know, Huawei was like that sort of yeah. you know five or six years ago. But they seem to be really you know moving through in prominence. They're just launching at quite a clip with you know new devices. Uh, you know each one is quite interesting in, in you know one aspect or another. The Find X that we we talked about uh, you know a few weeks ago as uh, you know being very unique because it had uh, you know had had. Uh, uh, no notch in the screen, but uh, you know a full screen sort of uh, edge to edge, and this camera that would uh, um, you know pop up for the facial recognition out of the uh, uh, out of the top of the phone would just sort of slide up, which was interesting. Um, at a at a slightly lower price point, they've launched this um, R17 Pro, and. Uh, look, you know, as with most of these things, it, it looks very nice. Uh, you've got triple cameras on the on the back, so you've you know got quite a bit of uh, tech in there, camera wise. Um, very fast. You've got a level of uh, facial recognition, and like Huawei's uh, P P twenty Pro, uh, you've got a fingerprint reader that's under the under the glass. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that seems to seems to work reasonably well. A What's little, the price point? On it? Um, it's coming in, I think, about thousand dollars into um, into the New Zealand market. So, you know, I, w- I would say, uh, you know, for the price point, it, you know, it does stand out as a you know as a very very capable uh, uh, yeah, device. But you know, of course, they're, they're, we're just getting such a big selection now, right? You got to wonder at what point the consolidation occurs around some of those things, right? And at, at, and and uh, clearly, 
the the pace of devices starting to come to market is just phenomenal, as you say. You know, mm. and the mm. and the wider range of devices coming to the market is quite phenomenal. I mean, Huawei, as you see, unknown five years ago, is probably now what's the third or second most popular second, hands of the year second, in, yeah. the, in the yeah. world. So, yeah. who would have ever thought of it? And they do smart things, like you know, they partnered with them um, is it Leica, the camera manufacturer, mm. and then mm. and Leica. Leica yeah. That's yeah. it. Um, and the you know, so all you need to do is pick one or two things that are. are, are, are that differentiate you and then I think people people are willing to give something a go after a while and mm. I think there's a lot of brand loyalty to the traditional Samsungs and Apples with a lot of people but I'm not quite sure the millennials coming through and the devices have that same level of loyalty and mm. I think the ability to, to switch devices and, and, and the ease of switching devices is quite key and I think people people are starting to reject the lock-in that you have with some of the accounts that you have with your devices mm, and, and, mm. and capabilities. So, uh, look, it'll be interesting to see where they turn up, actually, um, and how. Yeah, and, and you've got the aspect of, you know, brands who need, you know, fleet devices and, you know, they, they want a range of devices, but, you know, look, if, if you're a, you know, small to medium business and you can, you know, outfit, uh, you know, your staff with with uh, technology that will, will do the job, uh, then and it, and it's you know let's say it's half the price point of of another brand. Uh, yeah, there are there are points mm. at which you'll make those considerations and weigh up. Well, should we should we go for this brand or mm. or, or or not? And it's not going to be for uh, for for everyone, but uh, I think we'll see the you know the Chinese brands just you know continuing to uh, to increase uh, in terms of their, their their market share because they are being uh, you know just so competitive from you know that balance of sort of price and and, and features. Uh, there are some downsides. I think you know we noticed with one of the other uh, other. Um, Oppo handsets that we we had here uh, that they're just not seeing the same level of uh, updates from a security point of view, right. not getting some of the the OS updates. So you know there is usually some sort of trade off when you go to uh, go to the lower price points, but you know if you you're getting a, a flagship phone. Uh, for you know, huge discount off the other flagship phones, and, and it does a very similar job. Then certainly they're going to people be people lining up to uh, to, to buy those. Yeah, I think um, the average consumer half the time wouldn't mind actually skipping an update anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. Eventually, if it uh, eventually no, you're right. If it's, if it's not know, broken, the broken screens yeah, and yeah. you know bit, bits mm. bits and pieces, you have to replace your phone. But yeah, the the updates can be can be annoying. But from a security point yeah, of view, I think they're, they're, they're yeah, some the other gadget that came uh, came through in the last few days um, uh, was from Jabra, and they do a sort of a, a, I mean, a whole range of sort of Bluetooth devices and so on. And um, what what they got in touch about is their Engage products, and these are um, designed to go into your, um, your 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 fixed line, your your desk phone, basically. So you can put on a put on a headset and be hands free in in the office. And and they've got uh, you know they've got a range a range of those uh, devices. And of course, you know for for many many years we've had an ability to sort of you know plug in and have a you know a fixed sort of headset, so your your hands are free. Uh, you know. Obviously, very popular call centers and so on, but um, um, they sent the Engage seventy five across, and I thought, all right, well, you know, what's special about this? Why is it eight hundred and forty eight dollars for uh, for this particular headset? And they've got a few others in that series. Uh, this is one that just sort of clips on uh, over your um, over your ear, and so it's you know it's it's reasonably easy just to. Uh, well, uh, clip on. I'll just put it on now. So, yeah, it takes a couple of seconds to, to clip on. 
and uh, it goes it goes back use the decked technology to sort of wirelessly connect back to its base. Um, but they tout it as being able to connect to up to five different devices. So um, I've been using this around the office. It connects uh, straight into uh, my VoIP handset on on my desk, and so it gives me you know hands free with that. So it just uh, hooks in there. Uh, it hooks into a smartphone over Bluetooth, and it's also got uh, it's got one or two. Two USB connections, so I can plug it into you know Mac or Windows m- machines. So uh, today so I've, I've been using it on the yeah. on the uh, the Mac. Um, and in fact, if you're consuming content during the day, rather than having it blaring, particularly if you're you know you're in an office with a bunch of people, and uh, you know suddenly a video or something comes on, and it's really loud. Uh, you know, have everyone turning around, sort of. Uh, what are you doing? What are you listening to? <laughs> um, because it's you know coming through in your ear, so it works quite well with that. The only thing I'm waiting to hear back from uh, Jabber on is whether it can handle sort of normal content when it's attached to a smartphone, because um, there are different mechanisms that you know that that um, in terms of the way your smartphone talks to these gadgets, and and some things are just geared up for hands-free calling. Uh, other ones will allow you to uh, you know consume podcasts and videos and so on. So. Um, that's the, that was really the only shortcoming for me so far, as I haven't uh, haven't found any way in which I can consume uh, a podcast at my desk. Should I uh, should I wish to? Right. Uh, but other than that, it's uh, it's great. And what I noticed was I was finding with other Bluetooth headphones, Apple AirPods, etc. Um, you know, I might keep that in all day for you know calls on my mobile and and so on. And then you know I'd want to use it later, and I'd actually you know used up most of the uh, most of the power so on, it's got on calls during the during the day. So it's got a, a reasonably good battery. I think they, they maybe um, oh, I've forgotten how many hours uh, talk time it, it was. Maybe maybe it's rated at nine, but uh, yeah, certainly I'm finding that you know, wearing it all day and not putting it back on its little dock charger. Um, yeah, there's just no chance of me, uh, you know, using using up that battery in a day, and then you just, you know, plonk it back on, and it uh, and it re- recharges overnight. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, very, very, uh, very nice. There's, there's obviously sort of a whole range of um, you know of, of, of products from them, and this is you know at the at the higher end, but the the convenience of it uh, convinced me that it uh, is, is is something that I'd I'd continue to. Continue to use the other. Um, then there's the, the other variation because this one just clips over your ear, but the other ones have got a sort of mono and stereo that you know go right over the top of your head. Um, now they've got those certified. There's a um, certification uh, from Microsoft. Uh, to do with uh, using uh, Skype for Business and, and Teams. And it's to do with the, the challenge that we see with, I guess, sort of call centre and cubicle-type workers, uh, whereby you might hear another conversation that's going on elsewhere. And, and one of our guys uh, last week was sharing about a you know an embarrassing situation for a company where yeah, he called up and heard a whole lot of another conversation that was quite confidential and that he shouldn't have been hearing at all that he was able to uh, just because of the, was able to hear both sides of the conversation. Well, no, I think just the, just the one side yeah, of it, okay, but yeah. it, but it was picking up, uh, yeah. you know, at too much of a distance. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, not a, not a good thing. So Microsoft, and I've forgotten the, what the, what their terminology around it is, but it's uh, uh, you know basically making sure that that, that you hear the person that's uh, you know wearing that headset and not all the other people yeah, around. Yeah, so the how office. you actually accelerate the um, the 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 the, the, the Emphasize the voice and actually de-emphasize the background noise, almost yes. like noise cancelling in the background, and yeah. and trying to then tune into your own voice or something like that. You know, HD voice was a little bit like that in terms mm. of actually mobile technology. How do you actually emphasize the current speaker, but then yep. you know downplay the noise in the pub generally or in the background or something like that? Yeah, but, but um, yeah, that would be, but that wouldn't be uncommon though in terms of I don't know would would would. I mean, you kind of you can hear that anyway in some of the call centres that that ring anyway. You actually can hear some background noises. Mm. Certainly, Microsoft so when I they think ring something the that hasn't been well addressed in the past, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. something that does probably need to be addressed. You know, a bit better. I mean, you know, how would you feel if you heard somebody repeating your personal details or your you know your credit card back, and you happen to be you know on a on yeah. a system that records yeah. the calls, and you've got this whole record of somebody. Oh, you know, when, really, whenever really Microsoft rings me I can, and, and tells me I've got internet problems um, that they're going to fix remotely from India. Um, yeah. I, um, I always hear somebody else in the background there as well getting the same advice. So, yeah, yeah and, and look, I mean, they're, they're probably a good example of a, you know, of a company that's, you know, involved in a lot of cutting-edge stuff, but they themselves in many ways don't, uh, you know, don't, don't run their ways. I suspect it wasn't Microsoft that, that, that was ringing that, me, actually. That, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I was, I was like, are you? Yeah, I wasn't sure if you were you know, joking was, about the call. No, there. no. Yeah. Um, well, Experiences actually when yeah. somebody rung up and said they're from Spark and actually they work for me. So, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, sorry, I digress. Yeah. Um, so you're still seeing a lot of those uh, scam calls. Yeah, uh, look, come, I think come, I think as much as you shut network. one down, they come yeah. through again. Um, yeah. the, the latest one that we warn people about is. Um, International dialers, you know, you miss call, um, yeah, and then what yeah. they do, oh, if somebody's missed, um, I've missed an international call, and and people often New Zealanders have a lot of expat either children or parents overseas, right. and they think, yeah. oh, crikey, somebody must be ringing me. So then they ring back, and then they actually ping you at a at a horrendous um, inter- calling, calling a satellite type service, yeah, or, or you're calling or, a basically or some what, premium premium price. Basically, that's like ringing an 0900 number. Yes. Where they, they charge it back to you, and and that's probably so. If you ever get a call from international miss call from international and you don't know recognize the number just don't ring it back it would be like a hundred dollars very quickly oh, it's, it's yeah it's incredible yeah um, yeah mm-hmm. um oh i just noticed the, the other thing on that jabra um is it's got a little uh, a little red glow to it so if, if a bunch of people around the office are wearing them and someone's on a call it will actually uh, you know it'll, it'll glow so you know that uh, you know that that person's on a call that that whole thing of you know Wearing uh, Bluetooth headsets and so on, you don't know whether somebody's on a call or not. So and, and it's a little bit subtle, but uh, you know, once other people know, that's probably quite interesting. Helpful. So, what happens when you go to, to morning tea and you all put your headsets down and um, and uh, have a cup of tea in a call centre and then put your headsets back on? How do you recognise it's yours? Do you just put it in your pocket, or do you? Um... Well, that no, they 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 clip onto the um, the little unit that's by you attached to your phone. Yeah, and so, so they, charge um, they, they just clip on yeah. and charge, and then you've got it's a little touch screen and so on, um, so you can adjust volume there yeah, and, cool. and and whatnot. So um, it's quite yeah. interesting that they're integrating to so many different devices. Though. I mean, that's a, that's quite cool. You know, mm. the ability to have you know a common sort of calling. So you get one on your mobile and you get one on your on your desk phone if you still have desk phones, um, and then mm. uh, one off your you know uh, if it, if it USBs off your actually um, your Skype or Teams, then that's quite cool mm. as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, not quite quite impressed with it. Uh, um, so far, so yeah, I'm. I'm 
I'm curious how their uh, how their other products go. So um, hopefully they'll they'll ping one or two other ones uh, across to look at now. We need to talk about 5G, Colin. Excellent. Um, so, very exciting. Uh, I went to the, the, so I guess it was the, the, the public unveiling or whatever you call it of your new, um, what, what are you calling it? The, the so, 5G Innovation Lab, it's, it's, it's a, the last time we were here we talked about um, how we wanted to get to a position where, well, we've talked about doing the technical trials. We did mm-hmm. that one down in Wellington and another one up That's in Auckland right. and... And we've done, you know, some drive testing around that. That was very much technically based around what did we see, you know, from a network perspective around the characteristics of 5G performance and how could we make it work. And and the exciting thing that we've done is, is and I remember having a chat to you and um, last time we were here saying, you know, we are building an innovation lab to actually try and um, – try and get people to visualise what 5G will actually look like and how it turns up for people because, mm. you know, you sit and talk here about what 5G is and it's well, it's one more G than four. You know, people, <laughs> it's quite hard to actually get, get your head around what it looks like. So the whole point of the Innovation Lab was to demonstrate, particularly with a number of our key partners down there, what some of the potential for 5G would be on the basis that 5G has, you know, um, uh, three major drivers around what it's trying to achieve. It's going to prepare for a massive connectivity on IoT. Um, it's going to prepare for increased bandwidth to exactly that point around video content we were talking about before uh, and significant low latencies around virtual reality, AR, driverless cars or near-field communications or mission-critical applications that are actually monitoring things like um, business business applications that need that real quick response time aspects around it. So the Innovation Lab was... Um, was launched officially yesterday, and and it is a live five G network. It is a uh, um, it's got a Huawei RAN um, connecting to a Cisco core. Um, yeah, I went and stood under it, and got fried. Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we just like calling that sun tanning. Um, no, it was um, it is. Um, it is uh, completely within the um, the standards within New Zealand around EMF um, uh, radiation. I can tell you, we had it tested before we actually put <laughs> yeah. anybody underneath it, Paul. So you're quite safe. Oh, that, um, that's good. I've still got a little bit of hair. Huh? So, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, better than better, you're doing better than me. Um, but look, it's um, we and we had everything like in terms of the showcase is very much a, a discussion point around the the official launch of wanting 5G ready for Emirates Team New Zealand's defence of the of the America's Cup, and we really see 5G playing a big part and our ability to support them in defending the Cup, and we're really excited about that partnership. It is, it's one of those uh, examples where it actually brings all of the use cases of 5G together in a single um, scenario, if you think telemetry off the boat, you know, there's over 200, 300 sensors off that boat that they're trying to collect information on, and the sample time of that is quite significant. You know, Right, so, so in the past they would have had to really have the compute power either on on the um, on the boat itself, or, or on, on the on, or the, chase on the, boat. the chase, yeah, chase, the cha- boat, and the chase basically. boat will still play a role. The, the America's Cup have got really quite strict rules around weight, and so mm-hmm. what they but what we'll do is still be able to enable a lot of that five G connectivity onto the chase boat, which is right. handy. We can probably mount more significant material on the chase boat than on mm-hmm. the boat itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they used to have to do, and if you talk, listen to to the, to the team yesterday, and is they used to have to send their engineers out on the boat um, on the water to if they mm. wanted to do anything and so the boat's only a certain size and so you had to pick which engineers you went out Who's onto the, go on the chase and, boat and, right, so, right. and so um, time is everything in terms of, of what they're doing and that correlation between a data sensor and video capture around what was going on um, is, is is quite significant and if you can get that off the boat and, and then back to shore then the engineers can actually be real time 
analysing what's going on in terms of the water um, uh, and it means they don't have to send engineers out on the boat and they didn't have to come back off the shore, download off an SD card to actually do the, the analytics right. so that they've got not only immediate response time but Spend an immediate um, debrief following the, the, and, the race. And I guess you've got access to a lot more compute power once, once you're, once you're on the, back, to on shore. The, back to shore and then they, they do a lot more analytics and, and then so if you got that from just telemetrics and then you've mm. got um, opportunity to actually even do VR on the boat so you mm. know mm. Um, if you've got a strong stomach and you can um, you know you, you, you don't get seasick having a sort of a VR headset on the on the on the boat could potentially you be on the boat with the team and that would be pretty cool and mm. would love to pull that off and and but even just all of the peripheral things around that if you think about fan zones and the ability for people to um, be on the water or narrow neck or bastion point and actually see on big screens and you know watch real time video down live and streaming mm, of what's mm, actually going on on the race mm. augmented reality where you could point your camera at the boat as it's sailing and get analytics off you know speed and um, you know who's doing what um, on the boat you could get um, um, smart cities around understanding crowd control um, logistics around rubbish bin management with IOT uh, the, the, the security awareness driverless cars yeah there's, lot, there's lots of possibilities, possibilities how the, you know, know how the networks are going to get used but I, I thought it was interesting you know Simon Murdy yesterday was was talking about uh, the point that Maybe we don't really know a lot of how the the five uh, G network will be used at this stage, and you know, I you know t- tend tend to uh, tend to agree that uh, you know until you start uh, you know dabbling with the technology and uh, you know um, you know trying it out, you maybe don't imagine what all all those possibilities are, and that's why you know I like to encourage business owners to actually be. You know, playing around with with technology, even if it's outside of their business and it's its home, uh, whatnot. You know, grab an Alexa. It's only you know whatever it is, sixty dollars. You know, try it out. Try out these different you know different things because you know the the more you distance yourself from uh, from these technologies, the less likely you are to uh, to have some bright ideas. Yeah, so and that's the, exactly the idea the of point. actually yeah. Uh, yeah facilitating that, I think is uh, yeah. is, is fantastic, and we don't want to be. Uh, you know, stuck too far behind, or you know what's happening in the rest of the world as well. So the the prod to the government to uh, uh, you know spectrum keep, auction, keep, yeah. keep moving yeah. with a yeah. spectrum auction. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, and they may well you know have that absolutely in hand, and and you know just haven't announced the dates yet. But uh, yeah, it's, it's good We'd good to, to good to show that you're very very keen. Yeah. <laughs> Look, and no I think I think the innovation lab is about co-creation, and I think it ties in nicely with the shift that um, Spark made around agile as well. In terms of actually, we don't have all the answers and we don't actually understand significantly every single business problem out there that the technology can help solve. So if you can come into the innovation lab and we can demonstrate the power of 5G and what it can create, then maybe you can generate some some solutions for you. We had people with IoT sensors there, we had a VR experience there, robotic arm there, we've got, you know, a drone flying, you know, for for, for um, you know, range of services. So, you know, I think the the the, the exciting thing and um, is the innovation lab just really showcase some of the potential but but invites people to come and co create and understand. That's right, yeah. And and you know, even you know, some of these things get banned around, you know, drones and driverless vehicles and so on and I think 
you know, for me anyway, I, I tend to put those things in a box. So, well, drones work today. Why do we need 5G? Or, you know, uh, you know, Waymo are doing their driverless vehicles and there's no 5G. But then when you, you look at some of the possibilities, well, you know, a drone that could stream, you know, 4K footage off it and, you know, pass it back. And that could be a broadcast scenario. It could be a search and rescue scenario or, you know, other things. And then, you know, with the, uh, uh, the autonomous or, or maybe the, the, the semi autonomous vehicles or a remotely you know driven vehicle and so on obviously a, a reduced latency if you've got somebody uh, you know and may, maybe it's it's um, you know a safety mechanism that's in, in, yeah. in future I know you know trucks and there's somebody sitting sitting back at base and uh, uh, you know a sensor um, um, you know uh, picks up that uh, you know a, a drivers may be having some sort of health issue uh, the technology might not be quite there for for uh, um, you know, for the systems to kind of kick in and collision avoidance and so on, but somebody remotely maybe yeah. can could take over. You know, I don't know what those scenarios will all look like, but you can imagine having you know lower latency and faster and I'd, and, I'd, and better networks. So. We'll, look, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely find the use cases just as, so. just as we have for uh, you know fast faster internet. And uh, you know, I think when when you know, for instance, ADSL first first came out. Uh, you know, most people didn't move to it that 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 quickly, um, but more and more we're finding ways to uh, to use uh, Look, I, 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 better I things. It, you're exactly right. Latency, I think, will really turn up in virtual reality and augmented reality. That whole haptic response around seeing what you see and actually the brain registering it and making mm. that latency feeling much more real time, um, and the, con- the richness of content that's going to come. You can imagine that with. Um, uh, sporting and entertainment and um, uh, education and training and all of those things that I think come together. I think VR is on that is, is you know moments away from a complete implosion and and, mm-hmm. and understanding its uptake is going to be quite key. And and I think then once you get that VR, then and that richness of data and that latency, then then that's going to need a pretty big network to actually handle that level of traffic. But mm. but look, I think uh, IT is a big part of it. Um, I think um, just capacity expansion. You know, we are we are continuing to upgrade the 4G network just to keep demand with capacity that's going on and at some point it becomes more cost effective to do that with the next generation of technology mm. that's exactly what we had to do from 3G to 4G it's exactly what we did to 4G to 4.5G and now it's exactly what we're doing to 5G is, is mm. there's, a, there's also an undercurrent of actually what do we actually need just to actually sustain capacity and the demand within the within New Zealand's appetite for, for, for internet and um, you know richness of content and data is uh, and video content is one of those big key mm. Things mm. and 4K well, TV, 8K TV, you know, yeah, just keeps keep, keep coming, keep, keeps, yeah. using up the bandwidth. Yeah, I think that you know the comment was made yesterday that you know the, the, from Spark's perspective, you probably got to you know maybe a couple more years to, to go before you're uh, you know you're, you're really going to start struggling with the capacity of the the LTE mm-hmm. network, and we, you know I think the uh, your data throughput sort of nearly doubles every uh, every, every, year. every every year. Uh, so there's only there's only so far you can go before basically. Basically, the uh, the performance we get starts, you know, going backwards mm. at a at a at a rapid rate, right? Yeah, once, I can tell once, you once that's, you that's that one thing. Link, so, when you uh, talk about the resiliency of people making phone calls, if you start mucking around with buffering, then that's when you mm. hear about it. Absolutely. Mm. So mm. The, the tolerance of buffering for people on video is, is mm. very low. So I think mm. that's mm. when we we don't want that. So no, particularly no. as we get into into um, media and sports and mm. you know, rugby world cup and Formula One and. 
hockey. No, no, one, and, no one wants a, a buffering message for half an hour during a, no, a, a, a rugby world although cup. Although I could have done that with on Sunday, actually, with yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the Irish test. <Yeah. laughs> now, um, in, in terms of sort of how the how the roadmap looks, of yep. course, um, yeah, we don't we don't know the exact date, and I you know I kind of uh, you know la- laughed a little bit about your uh, you know the spark sort of countdown to uh, uh, you know to five G. I think what did you set it for first of July? First uh, of July when we want to be on the water with America's in twenty twenty. So yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know I guess that's sort of a, an aspirational date because you you know you don't know and and until. Uh, um, you know, spectrum auction happens and 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 so on. Um, but this is going to be a journey over a number of years, isn't it? I mean, to start with, you'll have you know four G uh, or LTE um, um, cell sites that you would add, you know, five G to. Then you've got to get that out, you know, across yeah, this, uh, this, this. you know across the country. Uh, and then you know, there's the potential of you know, uh, with millimeter wave to uh, um, you know to to actually build a you know a whole lot more um, cell sites and to you know re- reach a, a lot more devices with very high speed. So um, this is a journey. I mean, how many years would you expect uh, it to be from you know your first to when you you know you kind of reach you, a, a lot of the I don't think you ever finish a, a lot of the, the, the I guess yeah. the, the the typical expectations of you know five. G with millimeter wave and, and so yeah, on. I mean, look, it's I think a few I, years, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's not, not going to be. It's not, gonna it's not going to be within yeah. you know twenty twenty one. We're we're, we're sitting here getting yeah. you know five gigabit speed for for everyone, and you've you know cut your fiber connection at home and yeah. and so on because you think you can get uh, get get it better on a mobile network. I mean, it's probably going to be. Um, maybe operate in a similar way today. Very, very similar to the 3G to 4G so overlay. So, I mean, yeah. I think if you think about it, it it's, there's elements where we will definitely do it where the demand is, so very, very much around the, um, the, the Auckland CBD. Uh, the America's um, Cup event are really looking about how they can extend the fan zone to make it mm. into Wellington and Christchurch and you know other main centres. And so you know there might be a need to actually you know if they do a large sort of um, screen up there in those centres, then we'd probably want to add capacity in around there. But look, the the, the evolution for five G is, is it will start with C band, um, which is the sort of the three point four to three point eight gigahertz band, and that will travel further distances. It's very similar to and our propagation testing that we did in the, um, at the beginning of the year looked very similar in terms of what we um, we saw with um, when we first rolled out four G on the um, on the eighteen hundred band, mm. uh, and the thing with. 5G has this concept called beamforming, which means that you can actually get better performance out to the cell edge um, uh, at much higher data rates rather than the, the, the fall-off that you get with 4G. So so that's quite encouraging. And so C-band is why, we, you know, and that's the first spectrum that's coming out for auction. Mm. Um, millimeter wavelength is very much capacity layer. It doesn't go as far as C-band, but it's very much going to be used in terms of actually exactly that wireless, fixed wireless access um, replacement, wireless broadband, or capacity demands in high traffic areas or in business. Businesses and in those right, areas, sports stadiums, yeah, sports stadiums, Britain Mark type situation, yeah, and yeah, and you know, and, and the and those are sort of the cell sites that you'd pull up a lamppost, you know, mm-hmm. you know or on a you know traffic light, or a, you know, they're not the big cell towers that you think of of mm-hmm. today. And mm-hmm. so, what you have is five um, G basically having C band as a as a macro kind of coverage layer, and they will then integrate with the, the millimeter wavelength smaller cells, and mm-hmm. actually brings that kind of collective five G connectivity together. Very much a hub and spoke. 
distributed type mm. model, mm. Um, mm. very similar to PSDN, ironically. Mm. Um, so where you actually build up uh, uh, some of that capacity and, and, and that. And at some point, you'll get the lower end bands repurposed onto 5G in the future as, yeah, as sure. you get... Go, get that happening and there's two ways to deploy 5G you can do it in what they call a non-standalone which is basically you use your 4G network still to actually cover it and, and, and you know all of the connectivity back to your core network for doing the things that you need to do is still um, you know managed through the 4G network and then there's a standalone which is a complete brand new um, 5G network and there's this concept of um, of mobile edge compute where you put all of the core functions traditionally in a large data centre in, in your network into into the edge or into the fog they call it sometimes um, into the um, into the cloud and you distribute those closer to the cell edge um, and um, and there's also this other concept of, of network slicing that, that comes in as part of that and and that's quite interesting because you need to um, you can slice your network to have different characteristics for the performance that you want on those services and and a good example of that would be for low latency VR type services you don't want suddenly a container ship rocking up with a whole bunch of IoT devices where you've got um, uh, containers and boxes in those containers suddenly all wanting to get onto that same cell set while uh, the cell site while you're still managing you know your VR experience or worse your driverless car type situation so this concept of network slicing means you can actually start to drive more mass customization of your network and, and performance and characteristics required for the services that you're going to consume um, so it's a it's a it's not just a RAN deployment it's not just new mm, spectrum it's mm. actually a rethink of actually mobile um, and, and network architecture and and um, and that's what's really quite exciting, and and it's going to be um, it's going to be an exciting time to build that out. And and as we said, you know, Emirates Team New Zealand partnership really brings all three of those use cases together for us to actually challenge and bring that to life. But we expect you know that the demands for servicing the smart cities will actually, in conjunction with that, will actually stimulate some use cases that we need to solve for, and just capacity demand through the course of that will be interesting. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now a couple of vaguely related uh, things and I'm not sure if that's sort of within your your remit um, Apple's new uh, iPhone uh, 10 S 10s max uh, 10r they are dual sim capable eSIM even and <laughs> that the, the second sim is, a, 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 is an eSIM now you've already done some eSIM stuff on on your network haven't you with uh, with the wearables we've done a little bit on the wearables the big mm. difference between the Apple Watch series I think um, next series is that actually they have a, a voice over LTE um, right. connection and so the, the big thing around um Around bringing that together is and ensuring again it's another another driver for Volte which we're building out mm, at the moment. Mm. But but eSIM, um, you know, the, the getting ready for eSIM is probably the next big thing to to understand. And and we're underway at the moment in terms of our eSIM capability. We've got some eSIM capability with the Samsung wearables that we've mm, got at the moment. Mm. Um, um, but with the Apple Watch, that's the it's the linkage back into the voice calling over Volte, which is quite key. There's no three right. G fallback on the on the Apple Watch, the latest Apple Watch. Right, and the and the iPhones is that a is that a little bit simpler? Uh, look, I mean the iPhones, you know the 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 eSIM capability. Um, there's some new capability you need to put into both the network and a new provisioning flow to, to enable that. So, but again, when we when we launch um, eSIM for the Apple Watch, will be uh, we'll, we'll be working with eSIM on terms of the, the new devices as well. Right, mm. right, okay, yeah, that's mm. interesting. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, uh, you know, I guess. I guess 
there was there was a a, a, a lack of interest um, in sort of supporting multi, you know dual sim devices, but that seems to have sort of I think started, there's an element started, where you, you know yeah, fa- yeah. fading away because I think the the yeah. new uh, uh, Huawei uh, you know P20 Pro is a is a you know dual sim device that you know Spark is selling as well, right? So yeah, look, I, t- I think it's a, inevitable. I mean, the eSIM yeah. was always coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, the, the the SIM was a very much a physical attachment to your network and ability mm-hmm. to do that and. And um, and eSIM just means that we have to get our heads around that. There's, you can't fight the inevitable on that, so you've got to mm. walk forward to it mm. and, and and address it. And that's kind of where we're at at the moment. So. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's very interesting. Great to great to catch up, Colin. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, was there was there anything else that we've? I mean, there, there are lots of things that we could really drill into. I guess on. Uh, well, I could probably five, talk for another five, couple five, of hours on five G. So I'm, I'm sure your audience um, don't particularly I, want that. But yeah, <laughs> I know. I know that uh, <laughs> listeners will, will probably have a question or two. So um, you may end up with a with an email with uh, with one or two questions. Yeah, look, and, some, and I'm you know, happy if you pieces if there's some questions that come about. back and you want yeah. me to address them in another podcast, then I'm happy mm. to do that. And mm. you know, maybe we can come back at a later point in time when you know when the spectrum auction is notified and understood mm-hmm. and we've, we've participated or if it's even closer to the America's Cup or um, if there's other subjects so we can I'm sure we can actually bring some experts into into the fray so uh, thanks a lot for having me it's, um, it's always a good opportunity to actually talk technical stuff and with an audience that's, that, that's interested in it so it's not always what I get um, certainly it's the eyes glaze over at home when I start talking about work so it's <laughs> <laughs> nice to have an, actually, an audience that's actually willing to, to want to actually listen and understand so it's, thanks for having me Paul Yes I think a, a lot of us probably have uh, have, have similar uh, <laughs> similar challenges excellent alright Great to see you. Uh, thanks, Colin. And um, in, in terms of people wanting to find out a, li- a little bit more, is there... Um, yeah, you go you know, to the website on, on and, and the link in terms of the 5G uh, stuff. We, everything we put up is on the on, you know website or LinkedIn or our Twitter feeds mm, or Facebook mm. pages and that. Um, if you're a business out there and you really want to look at co-creation around this, we'd love to hear from you. Um, just get, get in contact with us and... Um, and um, um, you know, if you uh, you know, just keep an eye on it. It's it's an area that we will continue to be quite um, um, public about in terms of what we're doing in the five G space because we're very passionate about it and and uh, really think it's a, a really good thing for New Zealand to actually move towards. Yep. Yeah. There was there was a question actually came in uh, yesterday after the uh, after the event with a video. I posted, and I'm just having a quick look to see if I can find it. We might handle it offline, um, but it, it was uh, it was around somebody who I think you know maybe is, is keen to utilise um, you know your network to to put 4G back up into a whole lot of you know locations around the country. Though I think they were talking about you know 50 different locations, and they just weren't sure um, you know how 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 to. They weren't. They weren't able to get an answer to, to, you know, to come up with something. I don't know what the challenge was. Whether it was finding the right people, finding a, a cost-effective sort of price point in order to uh, to do that. Um, who would they get in touch with at Spark if they're, look, they're trying look, to do something outside of the box, outside of the norm? Email me, and then it's colin.brown at spark.co.nz, and and I may not have the answer, but I can find a few people in Spark that could. But 4G backup is actually, you know, that that concept of resilience that we're talking about before. You know, yeah. a fibre connection with a 
4 g backup is actually not a not a uh, uncommon thing that we're actually looking at you know more and more devices actually have both the dual you know, fiber connectivity and a sim connectivity to enable that to yeah. happen so the, the key thing around is we would probably need to understand is is, is where um, mm. and have we got the coverage and the capacity to actually cover it but uh, and the and the bandwidth requirements around that, but you know, just email me if you've if you've got some uh, got a question around that, and we can get you in contact with the right people. Excellent. All right, that's great. Cool. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, everyone for listening. Yes. We'll catch you again next week. Okay. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.